All right. Hey, well, welcome to Grace. My name is Brian Wilson. I'm the, I'm the lead pastor. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Grace. And we are making our way through the Gospel of John. And today we are at the end of John chapter 17. So if you have your phone there, you got your Bible there. If you're with us online, you can go and follow us there. Um, but we're in John 17, verse 20. Now, I'm not sure where you are coming from in different parts of the city, but today it's, it's a Covenant Health Marathon. Right. And if you have maybe as we as we're thinking about, we have folks here who are who are running and uh, and uh, uh, you probably have a, have a lot of friends who are right now just need our prayers of, of encouragement and endurance. And uh, we just want to keep them in mind. Now, John 17 is, uh, is sort of it's the conclusion of about a four chapter sermon that Jesus has been given has been giving. It all started in John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, uh, Jesus is with his, his disciples, his beloved ones, and, and he wants to show them, hey, this is his last moment with them. And he, and he, and he wants to, and he knows, he said, Jesus says, or John tells us, Jesus knows where he is going. He knows what is about to happen. And so he wants to actually share this last meal. And so we call it the Last Supper that we actually celebrate and what we call Monday Thursday. That we're going to do in, in a couple of weeks. But after Jesus serves this meal and he washes their feet uh, we begin to see that there's some discussion going on with the disciples. And, and all of a sudden, Jesus then breaks out. And in and, and John chapter 14 and 15 and 16, we, we, he has this great teaching. Some people call it the uh, label of the upper room discourse. The upper room is, uh, is where Jesus had his last supper. The discourse is basically a long extended teaching. Jesus teaches about the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus teaches about uh, how we're to live in the world, that, that we are to abide in him as, an, as he abides in us. Um, he, he, uh, um, he then ends this discourse with this prayer. Now, 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 in January, as we were on our 40 days of prayer, or sorry, a month of prayer and fasting, we looked at the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is, is this prayer in Matthew 6 and Luke 11. In Matthew 6, um, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. And in Luke 11, they actually ask us, teach us how to pray. And, and we saw that, that the Lord's Prayer is really, it's a prayer that, that, that we say. It's also a pattern of prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, who is God? Where is, where is God? Right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. We pray for God's will and God's power and God's purpose. Give us today our daily bread, which is about right food. You know, forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those. Right? At least, at least not into temptation, but keep us from the evil one. And, and, and many, and many the, theologians believe that, that John 17 is sort of, Jesus, sort of an extended prayer of, of this pattern of prayer. Jesus starts off and, and he, and in and, and, and John 17, verse 1, and he begins to get this acknowledgement of who God is and, and he prays for his, prays for eternal life. He prays for his disciples. And in John 17, starting at verse 20, this is really cool. 
Jesus prays for us. He prays for us. If you have come to faith in Jesus, he prayed for that. And and if you have not yet come to faith in Jesus, he's praying for you now. He ends his prayer praying for us. That's amazing, isn't it? And so we have is the the last part of Jesus' prayer. And and, and this last moment with his disciples before he is is arrested and before he goes into trial and before he is is crucified, this is his last word. These are are his his last prayer. And these last words have so much to say to us. We begin in verse 20. Jesus says, my prayer is is not for them alone, meaning it's not just for my disciples. So he's saying, I'm making a transition here in my prayer. But I pray also for those who will believe in me. Through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me even as you have loved me. Father, I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not yet know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Working on my sermon slides, but they're not working. All right. We'll get there. Oh, well. I can't control my iPad. I'm having a moment here. It's all right. I'm good. Just put the slides up. I'll say whatever's on the slide. There we go. There we go. Okay. 
I love this quote from Leslie Newbegin. He was a he was a a, a pastor in India, and uh, he came back to to the United States. Well, he was American and went to India as a pastor. Came back to the United States and said, "Wow, what, what's being taught here and what's being experienced here in America is not really." Christian. It's more religion. And as you begin to reflect upon John 17, he says, this prayer of Jesus leads us into the very heart of the ministry and message of Jesus. That when you really think about this, this prayer, I'm going off camera. I'll be right back. Thanks, Stephen. When you really think about John 17, what Leslie Newbegin is saying is that in this prayer, we have the very heart of Jesus. We have the, the essence of his message. And there's several themes in which Jesus has here that I want to make sure that we, that we know. I mean, you look at, look at John 17 here, right? There, there is one major theme that comes out of this entire prayer. It's a prayer of unity. It's, it's a prayer of oneness. It, it, it's, a, it's a prayer for, for not just those who actually believe in Jesus, but those who will come to believe in Jesus. And as I've been reflecting upon this prayer, I, I can't help but think about these stats that, that right now, there are about 2 billion global Christians. Around the world, there's about 2 billion Christians. And at those 2 billion Christians, they make about 45,000 what we call denominations. So you have 45,000 denominations, you got 2 billion Christians. But for the first 1,000 years of the Christian movement, you really had just sort of one global denomination. There was just one sort of movement. And then there was a schism that happened uh, about 1050 or so. We won't get into that. That's later. But uh, you sort of had two, sort of east and the west sort of broke off. And then in about 16th century, you had another breakage. And I, I can't... Think about here is Jesus, Jesus' last words, and he's praying for those who will come to believe in Christ. And his prayer over and over again is for unity, is for oneness. And I, I can't help but really think about that, that, that for Jesus, unity is essential. It's foundational. It is, it is as essential as he keeps saying that I want people to believe in me, to know that I'm the one who was sent by the Father over and over and over and over again. It says throughout the Gospel of John, I want you to believe that I have been sent by the Father. But for Jesus, I believe unity is not just foundational, it's actually essential. Three times in his prayer, he prays for unity. We see this, right? I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. For those who will come to believe through, through the message, we'll get to this in a second, through the message of his, of his disciples, that all of them may be one. 
And the Greek word there is one. It's actually a number. It's, it's, it means one. There'll be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. The same unity, Jesus saying that that the Father and the Son share, right? As as the Father is in the Son and, and as the Son is in the Father, that that same unity is what is Jesus' prayer. That's his prayer for those who will come to believe that they will share in this, what we call this mystical union. That they'll share in this partnership, that they'll share in this dynamic Relationship that the same relationship that, that, that the Father is having with the Son, Jesus, and Jesus is having with the Father, that's what Jesus' prayer is for, that they will know the depth and the richness of, of the unity which we share, that unity is, is foundational. And he goes on and shares this, says, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me. And he goes on and says that may they be brought to complete unity. Why? So that the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I mean, the big point here is that unity among believers in Jesus is huge to Jesus. It's huge. I mean, it's... It's foundational. It's essential. It's it's huge. That 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 if this is the last part of Jesus' prayer before he goes to the cross and, and he's arrested and before he dies, that this is his last petition, then we have to say, or I have to come to the conclusion that unity among those who come to believe in Christ is huge. Because it was huge. On Jesus' heart. And we see that that is also as we make our way through the New Testament, that it was huge to Paul. I mean, Paul, Paul wrote four letters from prison. As Paul was in prison, he penned four letters to churches and, and one three to churches and one to this other church, and, 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 he, and you write in his letters, you know what the theme of what Paul was? Unity. Because why? Because it's huge. And he says this. He says, can you read that? I can't read it. Yeah. But basically he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. You have received the completely humble and gentle, right? Be patient to bear with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. And goes on and says, why? Because there's one Lord and one faith, right? For Paul, as he was looking at the churches, that, that what, as he's in prison, right, his life is, is on the line. He's pinning, hey, do not forget what was on, I believe, on the heart of our Savior that, that is essential to the life of, of a body, which is one body, right? It's just, he gives this beautiful image of the church as one body. And he goes on and says, 
Ephesians, therefore, if, if you have any encouragement from being united, or Philippians, any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from the love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion to make my joy complete by having the same mind, being one in spirit. Colossians, he says, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and patience, gentleness and patience that each of you will forgive one another. And if any of you that has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect union. Unity is essential. It's foundational to any church, to, to any, any life. You know, I always, when I do premarital counseling, I, you know, I, I, tell this, I tell the couple, I says, you know, at the wedding service, I will say, and now these two are one. And I say, wow, I'm declaring that over you. I'm, I'm claiming that biblical truth, that that marriage is, is to be this, this, this union, right, of husband and wife and, and, this, and, this, and this oneness. And I, and I declare that these two human beings knowing that all of their past and knowing all their differences, that they're going to become one. And I declare that knowing personally and pastorally that is hard. And the church said, amen. <laughs> right? The male, female species is, it's always hard. And I'm like, I'm claiming this truth. This is a biblical truth. But practically, that's hard. It takes work. That's what Paul says. You have to do the work of unity. But first of all, you have, as a church, have to come to realize that unity is essential. Unity is foundational. And we use the word in the business, what alignment. We all need to be aligned. Or we say we all need to row in the same direction. We need to have one heart and one mind and one spirit. And so we take themes and slogans and all this stuff. Let's all work in one and work as one. And we know that those look good on paper, but it takes a lot of work, right? And that's why I think that unity, Jesus is saying here is unity is not structural, it's relational. Somebody once told me that proximity does not lead to community. I was like, okay, yeah, that's probably true. That, 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 that you could be close to someone. You could actually live with someone. You could actually live next to someone. You could, you could be at a conference and, and be at that chair, but you could be close to someone but never have community. You can never be united, right? 
That's why I think Jesus' words here are very important. He says, over and over again, I want them to be in, in complete unity. Why? As I, as you are in me, Father, and as I am in you. Because I think Jesus is saying that unity is foundational, it's essential, it's also relational. And relationships, we are excellent at. Relationships take work. It takes effort. Time, I think Jesus is saying here is that, is that yes, I, that the Father and I are in this, in this relationship, and this relationship is time and is space. And I was thinking about this, that the pain that a lot of us have experienced with disunity is really a result of broken relationships. And, 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 and because relationships demand time and they demand space. can't microwave a relationship. You can't put it in an air fryer and pop out and, whoa, look what we got. It demands time. It demands commitment. It demands listening. It demands creating a space. And so sometimes we have to have structures that allow for there to be relationship. I think it's Paul's writing to those churches saying, hey, don't forget Unity. You can worship together and you can serve together, but hey, remember, it's unity. Look what D.A. Carson said. He said, the church is made up of natural enemies, which binds us together. It's not common education. What binds us together is not common education. It's not common race. Not common income levels, it's not common politics, it's not common nationality, it's not common accents, it's not common jobs or marital status or anything else of that sort. What truly binds the church together is that all have been saved by Jesus. They were a band of natural enemies who have experienced the salvation of Christ. As Paul writes, right? He says, this dividing wall through Christ was torn down. And you once were slaves and really enemies of Christ, but now you, you're one. And, and what Carson says here, it's all because we love one another not just for ourselves, but for the sake of the world that Jesus loves. That's why I think sometimes the pain of disunity can be healed through realizing our identity in Christ. That it takes me the essence of, of what, what the gospel is about. Yes, unity is foundational. There's foundational beliefs. There, there's a, it's a, found, a foundational principle. It's, there's essential beliefs. There's essential principles. But when you get down to it, that, that unity is, is also relational. It's understanding who we are in Christ. That, that, that we were created, that you and I were created in, in the image of God. And that within each one of us, we, we have been marred by sin 
And it's difficult for us to, 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 to see that image, to, to experience that image, and that our relationship with God has been broken. And it's through the righteousness of Jesus, who was a perfect image of God, who went to the cross and died for us and paid the penalty that um, we could not pay. And his, and his offering was recognized by the righteous Father. And then through his death and resurrection, right, he's, he was brought back to life. And that if anyone is in Christ, they are what the Bible says, a new creation, that the old is gone and the new has come. And so when I, when I am in relationship with Christ, I, I am, I'm in that relationship. Why? To remind myself to live in that new identity of Christ. To put the old patterns and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the strife and the division, to put all the, the old things away, even though they, they, they creep in, but to seek and to live in this new identity as holy and chosen and precious. And to live it out in community with the church, which is the hardest thing to do. To live in a world that is, that is dividing us by so many different things and that we are to come together, all different ages and all different generations and all different experiences and to find our unity in Christ. And that's relation. That's what I was saying. And Jesus says, my desire for you as a people and for those who will come to believe in me will live in the depth and the richness of this relationship with the Father to the point in them that, that that will overflow into others. That's why I think that unity is, is not just foundational or essential. It's not just relational. It's, it's what this new word called missional. And that we're not just here for ourselves. I came across this, this theologian in the 17th century. He what he says, which I think it's so true today, divisions in the church breeds atheism in the world. Good word, Thomas. Divisions in the church. I, I feel like that sort of gets to the heart of what Jesus is praying here. That, that my Father that worship one God and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and that the body, the church is this body of Christ and is to live as one and is do the work of, of unity. Not for our own sake, but for the sake of the world. And part of that means that I have to let go and be very careful of not letting our preferences get in the way of the mission. Man, it's so hard. Because we live in a world that I, I, I prefer this, and I prefer this food, and, and this channel, and, and this time. And, and so we live all in this world. It's all about me and my ease and my preferences. And the church is so different. It's not about preferences. It's about the mission. The church exists not for herself. The church exists for the sake of the world. So Jesus says, right, I'm praying for my disciples that when they share the message, that when people hear their words, when they testify about me, when they tell stories about me, when, when the words come out of their mouth, that those who are on the other end, that they will see it as truth. And they will embrace it and say, yes, I 
want to be with Jesus. That everything is about the mission. And I realize that as I get older, that it's so easy to get married to the method. So easy to get married to. This is how I sort of want things done. I want things done in a certain way, and I got a certain routine. And I think, I think COVID has taught me this, and, and others with the church are saying, okay, what is, really the, what is really the heart of your church? Is a harder church to, to reach the world? Or is, is, is a harder church, you have a greater why than yourself? Or, or are you all about you and what you want and when you want it? Because there's a world out there that is dying without Jesus. There's a world without hope. And Jesus' plan is a church. And so this is, this is God be pushing, saying, okay, do I, am I married to my method over the mission? Or do I really believe in the mission? Do I really believe in the mission? Can we gather around the mission? If we're all about the mission, if the mission is for the world, is to share Christ with the world, then it, as Paul says, in any means, in any method, I want to do that. I want to do that. But sometimes in the church, we get mired in preferences and methods. And I keep reminding myself that Jesus didn't come to start a worship service. He came to do a movement. And this movement, we see here, in verse 20, 21, this movement starts with his disciples sharing Christ with others and praying that others will come to know Christ, that, that, that Jesus' plan wasn't just oh, get, sort of get together and, and have a worship service, but no, it's, it's one person to another. Why? Because unity is foundational. Unity is relational, but it's also missional. Because Jesus, the life of Jesus, is, it's not about me. It's about him. It's about his mission, his desires. I think what we see here in this prayer is that Jesus is saying, it's not just, I want you to do deeds of love, but I also want you to share words of truth. You know, once a month, we, we, we serve chicken biscuits to the folks. And uh, we did this past week, and all these 18, it was crazy. This week we had all these 18-wheelers show up. It was crazy. <laughs> but... The chicken biscuits just opens a door. It just causes someone to pause for a moment. It this plants a seed. But Jesus is very clear at the power of the word. That's through the disciples' message. It's through this is who Jesus is. This is why we're doing what we're doing. Because he loved us when we were so unlovable. And so, as I look toward this prayer, I want you to think about three people right now. I want you to think about three people, maybe one person. One person that, or three people that, that you, that God's put on your heart right now. God's put on your heart for them to come to know Christ.
Get out your phone. Look at who are three people that God's put on your heart. Begin to pray for them. Maybe you don't even know their name. You just know where they are. They're where they sit. I pray that they'll, maybe this Easter will be their first Easter. That's a powerful point for me because I believe I'm only in the kingdom of God because I had people praying for me that I did not know. I came to realize that later in life. People crying out for me. And I thought everything in my life was good and great. But pray. Who are people you're going to pray for? And I also prayed that this week that you'll have an opportunity to share your story. We all have a story. We all have a story of when Jesus became more than a historical person. We have a story of his provision, his love, his grace. I pray this week that you'll, you'll have an opportunity to share that with someone. And maybe be able to invite them to Easter. What a glorious Easter that would be, right? Or someone to experience Christ. You invite them, you pray for them, you invite them to come and celebrate Easter with us. And all of this, all of this flows out of a relationship. All of this unity is essential. Unity is foundational. Unity is relational. Unity is missional. And all flows out of this meal that Jesus had with his beloved ones. And so as we come to communion today, I want you to think of these words. Jesus, Scripture tells us on the night our Lord was betrayed, he took bread. After giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after supper, our Lord took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant sealed by the shedding of my blood. As often as you drink from this, do this in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and we drink from this cup, we proclaim the saving death of our risen Lord until he comes. He's coming any moment. But the life that Jesus has for us, he wanted to make sure that his disciples knew that they were united with him. And this meal is a way to come and commune, to find common unity to come and experience this, this beautiful union that God has for us in Christ. And to do it together, that we can celebrate this together, a common meal together to bring us all together as his as this body. And so our Savior invites anyone who, who, who trusts in Jesus, 
trust them a lot or a little to, to come. This, this is a, the supper for you, a meal for you prepared for our, by our Savior. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious and mighty God, as we gather here in your name, we pray, O oh Lord, that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you will take these common elements, allow for them to be set aside for a sacred purpose. That this bread become the very body of Christ. That this juice become the very blood of Christ. That we're not just eating and drinking, but we're actually communing, that we are participating with you. And you invite us, Lord. That's the invitation, this, this communion with each other, this, this union with Christ. Lord, it's just very humbling to think that you prayed for those who will come to receive your message through your disciples. And I believe you're still praying for that now. Today could be the first day for someone to come to faith in Jesus to acknowledge Christ as Lord and Savior. Maybe we've been away from Christ and we come to this meal today to say, I want to come back to you, Father. Receive me. Or we've been walking with you and it's been a tough week and a tough season and we just need to be reminded, we need to be encouraged that we're fully loved by you. That God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only begotten son. He didn't come to condemn the world. How no, he came to save the world. Jesus said, I didn't come to, I came to seek and to save the lost. And my harvest, what? It's plentiful. I've come to that others will believe that I was sent by the Father. And so I'm sending you. The Father has sent me, now I send you. And so here we are, Lord. Will you feed us? Will you nourish us? Will you meet us here in this meal? We ask all this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.